when we come to preach, Travis and I were just talking about this before he left. When we come to preach, it's so important that when we do this, we bring the good news and not just good advice. If all we're doing is bringing good advice, then we're not bringing the gospel. And I think when we look at this passage this morning, a lot of it can sound like good advice, but there's wonderful good news behind it. And if I don't bring that this morning, feel free to tell me, (laughs) and we'll work on that. Travis and I were agreeing, man, we need to bring the good news. I want to read you something out of this book called The Glory of Preaching by Daryl Johnson. And he writes this about a fellow named Ian Pitt Watson. If you don't know who that is, that's okay. But he talks about this. He says, good advice without good news changes no one. Good advice without good news is either stifling legalism or oppressive moralism or powerless self-help. When in the mid-1970s, Ian Pitt Watson moved from Scotland to the United States to teach preaching at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, He spent the first half year or so visiting as many congregations as possible to get a feel for the preaching. He said he could summarize all the preaching he heard in one phrase, it is good to be good and it is nice to be nice. That is not what the gospel is telling us. That's a part of it, sure, but there's much more to that. So let's keep that in mind this morning as we go through these these passages here. So last week, we began to look at one of the five great discourses in the Gospel of Matthew, one of these wonderful sermons that Jesus gives. If you have a red-letter Bible, that's where the next three chapters are just red, 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 because he's just talking and talking and talking and talking, and it is wonderful. This, however, was not Jesus' first sermon in Matthew. Jesus' first sermon in Matthew is so short that if you're not looking for it, you're going to miss it. It's in chapter 4, verse 17. And that verse says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How's that for a nice short sermon? I could just say that and sit down, but repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven means the reign of God, or perhaps the rule of God would be a good way to put it. But this rule is different than what the Israelites had ever seen before. This rule was different than what anyone had ever seen before, especially someone living under Roman occupation. This is not a rule that harms, but heals. This is not a a rule that enslaves, but gives true freedom. And this is not a rule that is defined by political power. It is a rule that is defined by God's power. This is the rule of God that breaks into the world through Jesus Christ that we vividly saw when we looked at his baptism. Remember, we talk about how the heavens are ripped open and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. This is the rule of God that's vividly shown when Jesus goes into the desert and he binds the devil and he strips him of any authority over us. This is the kingdom of heaven, folks. This is the rule of God at hand. And it is awesome. And so when we hear the words of Jesus Christ on the Sermon of the Mount, we are invited to hear them in the context of his first sermon. Repent of your sins, for God's rule is at hand. Turn away from your self-centeredness. Turn away even from your previous understanding of what righteousness is. And embrace the kingdom of heaven. The ruling authority of God defined by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
As Travis shared last week, life in the kingdom of heaven begins by understanding our identity in Christ as shown through the Beatitudes. And as we read further, he sh- we hear some examples of the implications of what life looks like in Christ, what a follower of Christ looks like, of what righteousness looks like. And it looks radically different than what the Pharisees were taught, or sorry, that the Israelites were taught by the Pharisees. And it looks radically different than perhaps we might even understand holy living today. What does this greater righteousness look like? Well, hear the word of the Lord. We've already heard the first part that Caleb wrote this morning, but I want to read the rest. It's going to take just a couple of minutes to go through this. I want to invite you, you can read with me. I'm in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Or I would like to invite you simply to close your eyes and hear the word of the Lord being spoken. You just have to open them again when I'm done, okay? All right. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, racha, or or empty-headed, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be put into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And pray for th- that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Would you please pray with me? Lord, this is your word, and we are grateful for it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear your word in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, help me as I, as I share your word this morning, Lord Jesus. Lord, where we struggle with it, help us in that way, Lord God. You will teach us. You will show us. Do so now, Lord, even in our midst. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we hear a lot of things in that passage. There's a lot in there. Indeed, we could do a whole series on each one of these implications, and many have. But what I hear overall in this text is that the kingdom of heaven is defined by a greater righteousness than what we understood. A greater righteousness made possible only by the power of a righteous God. If this righteous rule of God is to be possible in our lives, the power of God has to be involved because this entire passage is bookended in impossibility. We can't do it. How does one be more righteous than a Pharisee? These guys knew their stuff. They knew the law inside and out. How does one be perfect as their heavenly Father is perfect as we end up at? The kingdom of heaven is defined by a greater depth of righteousness made possible by the power of a righteous God. The rule of God has broken upon the earth, but Jesus makes it clear that he has not come to wipe any of this away that was given to the Israelites, but to fulfill it. The righteousness of the Pharisees was based on the letter of the law, but they had forgotten the spirit behind it, why God gave it to them in the first place. Jesus comes to say, I'm telling you that what you know of following the law goes deeper than what you've been taught. Let's get to the heart of the matter of what the rule of God is about. For the law, it was always pointing to something greater. The law was always pointing to someone greater than itself. And that someone has come, Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is an important contrast for us to get that I think Matthew is really on about in his gospel. Israel comes out of the water of the Red Sea and they receive the law. Jesus comes out of the water of the Jordan and receives the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about not following the letter of the law, but by the Spirit, we really do mean the Spirit of the living God. Jesus speaks of a greater righteousness than what was previously understood, even greater than what the Pharisees could dish out. Jesus shares six implications of what it means to live by the rule of God. And we won't go into detail on all of them. We just can't this morning. But I want to share two things about them. First, note the authority with which Jesus speaks. Jesus begins each example with some variants of, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Or maybe in our translations it says, truly, I say to you. Whenever we hear those words, but I say to you, listen. That's what Matthew is saying, listen up. Because what comes next is of utmost importance. 
Lean in to catch every single word, for it signals that what is coming is important. Over 50 times in Matthew's gospel, we hear Jesus speak these words, I say to you, that signal his authority. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you what? 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 What, Jesus? What are you saying? What's what's coming? I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. That's much deeper than just do not murder. There's much more involved with that. With authority, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter of what that's about. With authority, Jesus speaks of a greater righteousness. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, oh, listen, I tell you, what is Jesus on about? What's he going to say? That anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, that certainly goes deeper than just do not commit adultery. With authority, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. With authority, Jesus speaks of a greater righteousness. And it's no wonder at the end of the sermon, Matthew comments that when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not just as one of the scribes. Friends, this is the authority that we live by. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the reign of God at work in our lives. And as such, we need to take Jesus' words seriously. Getting to the heart of the matter of living by the rule of God is letting Jesus' words get to the heart of this matter. That's your tweet-worthy moment right there. Getting to the heart of the matter of living by the rule of God is letting Jesus' words get to the heart of this matter, of you and I. Each example that Jesus shares speaks to the incredible sanctity of what it means to be in relationship with God and what it means to be in relationship with each other. It's not something that we can dare to take lightly. Take Jesus' words on adultery. How I treat the woman that I pass each day speaks not only to how I value them, but it speaks to how I value my wife. It speaks to ultimately how I value God. These are all people made in his image, and in light of this, deserve the honor and respect that he does. You are all people made in the image of God, and as such, you deserve the honor and respect that the Lord does. What does it say then when we purposefully let the eye linger? when we let the mind wander. No wonder Jesus uses such hyperbole to describe the pains we should take. Why he uses such exaggeration to say, keep yourself from letting lust find any ground in your hearts. It is exaggeration, by the way. Please don't start cutting things off, okay? We know that, I know, but it's important to hear sometimes because it feels that way. If that was the case, there'd be an elbow speaking to you right now. That's probably about it. We must heed the authority behind Jesus' words. Take Jesus' words on loving our neighbor. We are at, I believe, a poignant moment right now where loving our neighbor is going to take on such importance. We really need to hear Jesus' words on this one. It's easy to love someone that we like. If we have a neighbor that we like, it's easy to love them. It's a lot harder when someone hurts us or when someone hurts someone that we love. 
that's more difficult, isn't it? We crave for our enemies, whatever that might look like, to see the error of their actions, but usually it's for the wrong reasons. We say we want justice. I think often what we want is judgment on them. Jesus commands us to pray for them. Wow. Jesus says with authority, yes, value your enemies as you value your own. Loving your own is no different from those who love their own, but the rule of God in our lives goes deeper than that. It has to. There is a greater righteousness at work here, and it's wrapped up in God's authority. We need that authority in our lives. But how do we do this? How do we live by such righteousness? Well, if you're wondering that, that brings us to my second point about what Jesus is speaking about. If you're having difficulty following this, if you read this and you think there's just no way, I have wonderful news for you, and it's in verse 48. If you're having trouble heeding God's authoritative word, have no fear. Simply be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Isn't that great news? That's all you have to do. Simply be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, that's great. Can you imagine if you came to me and you said, Daniel, I'm having trouble with my relationship. Daniel, I'm having trouble facing this temptation again. Daniel, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble forgiving my neighbor. And all I say to you is, hey, don't worry about it. Just be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How comforted would you feel at that moment? How encouraged would you feel? Would you go out of there saying, oh, of course, I'll just be perfect. Okay, point made. What is Jesus on about in verse 48? What is going on? Most translations, uh, translations write this verse as a command, which it is. The NIV and the NRSV, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The King James Version, of course, is a little more poetic. Be ye, therefore, perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Uh, English Standard Version is really helpful. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is anybody sweating yet? This is why it's kind of neat sometimes to read the Bible in different translations. Some of them pick up on different things. The NASB, the New American Standard Version, is different. It says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why does it say that? Now, I want you to bear with me here. I don't know Greek. I've never studied it. It's on my to-do list. I would love to. I understand the danger here getting into something like this when you don't know Greek. Because Greek is very easy to kind of manipulate and make it say what you want it to say. I get that. I come into this with a little bit of fear and trembling. What I'm looking at right here has been looked at by people who have much more training than I do and much more learning than I do. And so I stand on their shoulders at this moment. So if you disagree, I'll tell you who they are and you can go call them, okay? The NASB picks up on this future tense nuance of a Greek word, aimi, which is used for you, and it adds it to its translation, giving this command a kind of a future tense. So it literally reads, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You shall be. 
The reason I point this out is because of what this does for us when we read it. Jesus is giving a command to be sure and a seemingly impossible one, and that's because it is. Who can be perfect like God? But Jesus is giving it in such a way that he is taking on the burden of responsibility for our following it. Praise the Lord. That is good news. That is great news. We don't follow it because we can. We follow it because of the promise that what God says will one day become. What God says will one day become. The greater righteousness that we are called to live by is the righteousness that reflects the perfection of the Father. One day, when we meet Christ in glory, we will have attained it. Until then, that is what we are aiming for. A popular worship leader once encouraged his band to aim for perfection, settle for excellence. I would tell our worship teams, aim for Jesus, settle for Jesus. That's good. But the perfection of the Father is what we are aiming for. When we fall short of it, we don't wallow in misery. We repent, to be sure, don't get me wrong. We come before the Lord and we say, Lord, teach me, show me, help me turn away from this, and He will. But it's not our job to get us there. That's Jesus' job. You know why? Because he initiated the good work of salvation within you. And he doesn't do anything halfway. He will bring that to completion. That is great news. That is great news. We recognize the Spirit at work within us, and we faithfully follow the Lord, knowing that He can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. One writer puts it this way, we can put our weight on His promises. You shall be perfect. And so can we now see this passage not bookended, perhaps an impossibility, but possible through the power of a righteous God? Possible because he is the one who makes it happen. Possible because he is the one who shoulders the burden, walks with us through the hard but also the very good of life in Christ. He picks us up when we stumble. He corrects us when we wander. He forgives us when we surrender. This is life by the rule of God. Hallelujah. So, What's the quote-unquote application? (laughs) I'm not entirely sure there's always an application. I think there is always an implication. If you want application, follow what we just read. I think the implication behind it is that Jesus calls us to live a righteous life, and I believe to do so in such a way that the world does notice. I don't know about you guys, I was thoroughly challenged last week when Travis said, no comment should be more hurtful to the Christian than the words, but you're no different than anybody else. I get challenged by that. I am challenged by that. However, when I hear those words, the temptation for me is immediately to go, challenge accepted. Okay, Daniel, it's time to do more. It's time to to pray more. It's time to get up earlier and read more scripture. It's time to smile and say hi to at least five people a day as if I mean it. That's what it means to do this. And, and those are all good things. And I think I usually do mean it when I smile and say hi to people. Usually. But I think what I'm really saying is, okay, Daniel, you have to try to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Try, try, try. 
Strive, strive, strive. But that's not the righteousness that Jesus speaks of. That's the righteousness that the Pharisees understood. And Jesus warns us against that. Relying on our own abilities to save ourselves is not living by the rule of God. It hinders it. Rather, Jesus tells you and I to give up reliance on our abilities to live righteously and instead rely on Him to show us what the kingdom of heaven, what the rule of God living looks like in our lives. Jesus did not come to simply make us self-improved super Christians. That's just good advice. That's not going to that's not going to do it. But to show us rather who we are, to show us rather whose we are, who we belong to, what our identity is in Christ, and to live in such a way that reflects the righteousness of Jesus in our relationships to God and to each other. And so as we hear the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mountain, as we continue through, through those words, remember that Jesus has come in authority, and he has shown his authority. The Spirit has come. I was just talking to our kids about this this morning. The Spirit has come. He makes his home within us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that is awesome. Jesus also bound the devil. The enemy is bound. He has no more authority on us. So when he's, you know, doing this at you, when you fail being perfect like the Heavenly Father, you just tell him, sorry, you have no authority over me. Jesus does. And that'll just shut him up. Let us trust in his words. Let us follow his lead as we do so with the promise that we shall be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Amen? Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you come alongside us. You walk with us, Lord God. Just as if we're on a tightrope, Lord, you're there with us. Every step of the way. Thank you, Lord, that whether it's through wonderful times or whether through terrible times, whatever the case might be, Lord God, you come along with us. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would know better day in and day out the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. That we would would know better day in and day out the authority of your word, Lord God, at work within us. That we would trust in you, Lord Jesus, every step of the way. Embolden us, Lord God, to do so in a world that is full of such fear, such hatred. Lord God, you come to show a better way. Help us walk in it, we ask. In Jesus' most holy and awesome and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you.